0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 38 to 39, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 36 to 37, and the trio is finally traveling to Alaska. Now, they may have taken, uh, their, their form of travel to Alaska is one of the more orth- unorthodox ways. I mean, it might be orth- it might be normal for humans, but, you know, for the son of Neptune, This is a very unorthodox and possibly one of the more dangerous ones uh, to travel by. Uh, They'll be traveling by sky, airplane to be more specific. And throughout the entire ride, Percy's probably, Percy's, you know, scared. Because, you know, know, Neptune's sons aren't usually advised to travel in the air, Because, you know, that Zeus controls the sky and uh, Neptune, Poseidon, controls the sea. So, in order to get his worries off of whether he's going to be zapped by lightning, he takes a quick, quick nap. And we've learned from previous series that Percy can have omniscient view, as I like to call it, where he can see what's happening in other parts or other areas of the vicinity. I'm not sure how far his radius can go, but um he's able to have like an omniscient view and see what's happening around him while he's asleep. So throughout this uh dream he's able to see um what the monsters, polyboats, Steno, what their army is currently planning on, and is able to get some insight on Atura possibly helping out the monster army and yeah so at the end of chapter uh, 37 they finally reach alaska so we're gonna read chapter 38 and see how they survive in this land beyond the gods so chapter 38 percy the pilot said the plane couldn't wait for them but that was okay with percy if they survived till the next day he hoped they could find a different way back anything but a plane he should have been depressed he was stuck in alaska the giant's home territory out of contact with his old friends just as his memories were coming back he'd seen an image of polyboat's army about to invade camp jupiter he learned that the giants planned to use him as some kind of blood sacrifice to awaken gaia plus tomorrow evening was the feast of fortuna he frank and hazel had an impossible task to complete before then At best, they would unleash death, who might take Percy's two friends to the underworld. Not much to look forward to. Still, Percy felt strangely invigorated. His dream of Tyson had lifted his spirits. He remembered Tyson, his brother. They fought together, celebrated victory, shared good times at Camp Half-Blood. He remembered his home. That gave him a new determination to succeed. He was fighting for two camps now. Two families. Juno had stolen his memory and sent him to Camp Jupiter for a reason. He understood that now. He still wanted to punch her in her godly face, but at least he got a reasoning. If the two camps could work together, they stood a chance of stopping their mutual enemies. Separately, both camps were doomed. There were other reasons Percy wanted to save Camp Jupiter. Reasons he didn't dare put into words, not yet anyway. Suddenly, he saw a future of himself for himself and for Annabeth that he'd never imagined before. As they took a taxi into downtown Anchorage, Percy told Frank and Hazel about his dreams. They looked anxious, but not surprised when he told them about the Giants' army closing in on camp. Frank choked when he heard about Tyson. You have a half-brother who's a Cyclops? Sure. Sure. Percy said, which makes him your great, great, great... Please. Frank covered his ears. Enough. As long as he can get Ella to camp, Hazel said. I'm worried about her. Percy nodded. He was still thinking about the lines of prophecy the harpy had recited, about the son of Neptune drowning and the mark of Athena burning through Rome. He wasn't sure what the first part meant, but he was trying to have an idea about the second. He tried to set the question aside. He had to survive this quest first. The taxi turned on Highway 1, which looked more like a small street to Percy, and took them north toward downtown. It was late afternoon, but the sun was still high in the sky. I can't believe how much this place has grown, Hazel muttered. The taxi driver grinned in the rearview mirror. Been a long time since you visited, miss? About 70 years, Hazel said. The driver slid, the glass partitions closed, and drove on in silence. According to Hazel, almost none of the buildings were the same, but she pointed out features of the land- landscape. The vast forest ringing the city, the cold gray waters of Cook Inlet tracing the north edge of town, and the Chu- Chukaj Chuka- mountains rising grayish-blue in the distance, capped with snow even in June. Percy had never smelled air this clean before. The town itself had a weather-beaten look to it, with closed stores, rusted-out cars, and worn apartment complexes lining the road. But it was still beautiful. Lakes and huge stretches of woods cut through the middle. The Arctic sky was an amazing combination of turquoise and gold. Then there were the giants. Dozens of bright blue men, each 30 feet tall with gray frosty hair were wading through the forests, fishing in the bay, and striding across the mountains. The mortals didn't seem to notice them. The taxi passed within a few yards of the one who was sitting at the edge of a lake, washing his feet, but the driver didn't panic. Um, Frank pointed at the blue guy. Hyperboreans, Percy said. He was amazed he remembered that name. Northern Giants, I fought some when Cronus invaded Manhattan. Wait, Frank said. When who did what? Long story, but these guys look, I don't know, peaceful. They usually are, Hazel agreed. I remember them. They're everywhere in Alaska. Like bears. Bears? Frank said nervously. The giants are invisible to mortals, Hazel said. They never bothered me, though one almost stepped on me by accident once. That sounded fairly bothersome to Percy, but the taxi kept driving. None of the giants paid them any attention one stood right at the intersection of northern lights road straddling the highway and they drove between his legs the hyperborean was cradling a native american totem pole wrapped in furs humming to it like a baby if the guy hadn't been the size of a building he would have almost been cute the taxi drove through downtown past a bunch of tourist shops advertising furs native american art and gold Percy hoped Hazel wouldn't get agitated and make the jewelry shops explode. As the driver turned and headed towards Seashore, seashore, Hazel knocked on the glass partition. "'Here's good. Can you let us out?' They paid the driver and stepped onto 4th Street. Compared to Vancouver, downtown Anchorage was tiny. More like a college campus than a city. But Hazel looked amazed. "'It's huge,' she said." that that's where um, the Glitchell Hotel used to be. Gitchell Hotel used to be. My mom and I stayed there our first week in Alaska. And they've moved City Hall. It used to be there. She led them in a daze for a few blocks. They didn't really have a plan beyond finding the fastest way to the Hubbard Glacier. But Percy smelled something cooking nearby. Sausage, maybe? He realized he hadn't eaten since that morning at Grandma Zhang's. Food, he said. Come on. They found a cafe right by the beach. It was bustling with people, but they scored a table at the window and perused the menus. Frank whooped with delight. 24-hour breakfast! It's like dinner time, Percy said. Though he couldn't tell from looking outside. The sun was so high, it could have been noon. I love breakfast, Frank said. I'd eat breakfast, breakfast, and breakfast if I could. Though, um, I'm sure the the food here isn't as good as Hazel's. Hazel elbowed him, but her smile was playful. Seeing them like that made Percy happy. Those two definitely needed to get together, but it also made him sad. He thought about Annabeth and wondered if he'd live long enough to see her again. Think positive, he told himself. You know, he said, breakfast sounds great. They all ordered massive plates of eggs, pancakes, and reindeer sausage, though Frank looked a little worried about the reindeer. You think it's okay we're eating Rudolph? dude, Percy said. I could eat Prancer and Blitzen, too. I'm hungry. The food was excellent. Percy had never seen anyone eat as fast as Frank. Red-nosed reindeer did not stand a chance. Between bites of blueberry pancake, Hazel drew a squiggly curve and an X on a napkin. So this is what I'm thinking. We're here, she tapped X. Anchorage. Looked like a seagull's face, Percy said, and more the eye. (laughs) Hazel glared at him. "'It's a map, Percy. Anchorage is at the top of the uh, sliver of ocean. Cook Inlet. "'There's a big peninsula of land below us, and my old hometown, Seward, is at the bottom of the peninsula. Here.' "'She drew another X at the base of the seagull's throat. "'That's the closest town to Hubbard Glacier. We could go around by sea, I guess, but it would take forever. "'We don't have that kind of time.' "'Frank polished off the last of his Rudolph.' "'But land is dangerous,' he said. "'Land means Gaia.' "'Hazel nodded. "'I don't see that we've got much choice, though. "'We could have asked our pilot to fly us down, "'but I don't know. "'His plane might be too big for the little Seward Airport. "'And if we chartered another plane... "'No more planes,' Percy said. "'Please.' "'Hazel held up her hand in a placating gesture. "'It's okay. "'There's a train that goes from here to Seward. "'We might be able to catch one tonight.' It only takes a couple of of hours. She drew a dotted line between the two X's. You just cut off the seagull's head. Percy's noted. Percy noted. Hazel sighed. It's the train line. Look, from Seward, the Hubbard Glacier is down here somewhere. She tapped the lower right corner of her napkin. That's where Alcyonius's is. But you're not sure how far, Frank, Frank asked. Hazel frowned and shook her head. Shook her head. I'm pretty sure it's only accessible by boat or plane. Boat! Frank Percy said immediately. Fine, Hazel said. It shouldn't be too far from Seward. If we can get to Seward safely. Percy gazed out the window. So much to do and only 24 hours left. This time, tomorrow, the Feast of Fortuna would be starting. Unless they unleashed death and made it back to camp, the giant's army would flood into the valley. The Romans will be the main course at a monster dinner. Across the street, a frosty black sand beach led down to the sea, which was as smooth as steel. The ocean here felt different. Still powerful, but freezing, slow, and primal. No gods controlled that water. At least, no gods Percy knew. Neptune wouldn't be able to protect him. Percy wondered if he could even manipulate water here, or breathe underwater. A hyperborean giant lumbered across the street. Nobody in the cafe noticed. The giant stepped into the bay, cracking the ice under his sandals, and thrust his hands into the water. He brought out a killer whale in one fist. Apparently, that wasn't what he wanted, because he threw the whale back and kept waiting. "'Good breakfast,' Frank said. "'Who's ready for a train ride?' The station wasn't far. They were just in time to buy tickets for the last train south. As his friends climbed on board, Percy said, "'Be with you in a sec,' and ran back into the station." He got changed from the gift shop and stood in front of the payphone. He'd never used a payphone before. It was strange antiques to him, like his mom's turntable or his teacher Kyron's Frank Sinatra cassette tapes. He wasn't sure how many coins it would take or if he could even make the call go through, assuming he remembered the number correctly. Sally Jackson, he thought. That was his mom's name. And he had a stepdad, Paul what did they think had happened to percy maybe they had already held a memorial service as near as he could figure he lost seven months of his life sure most of that had been during the school year but still not cool He picked up the receiver and punched in a new york number his mom's apartment voicemail percy should have figured it would be like midnight in new york they wouldn't recognize this number hearing paul's voice on the recording hit percy in the gut so hard He could barely speak at the tone. Mom, he said. Hey, I'm alive. pooped me to sleep for a while, and then she took my memory, and his voice faltered. How could he explain, possibly explain all of this? Anyway, I'm okay. I'm sorry, I'm on a quest. He winced. He shouldn't have said that. His mom knew all about quests, and now she'd be worried. I'll make it home. I promise. Love you. He put down the receiver. He stared at the phone, hoping it would ring back. The train whistle sounded. The conductor shouted, All aboard! Percy ran. He made it just as they were pulling up the steps, then climbed to the top of the double-decker car and slid into a seat. Hazel frowned. You okay? Yeah. He groped. Just... made a call. She and Frank seemed to get that. They didn't ask for details. Soon, they were heading south along the coast, watching the landscape go by. Percy tried to think about the quest, but for an ADHD kid like him, the train wasn't the easiest place to concentrate. Cool things kept happening outside. Bald eagles soared overhead, the train raced over bridges, and along cliffs where glacial glacial waterfalls tumbled thousands of feet down the rocks. They passed forests buried in snowdrifts, big, artillery guns to set off small avalanches and prevent uncontrolled ones, Hazel explained. And lakes so clear they reflected the mountains like mirrors. So the world looked upside down. Brown bears lumbered through the meadows. Hyperborean giants kept appearing in the strangest places. One was lounging in a lake like it was a hop tub. Another was using a pine tree as a toothpick. A third sat in a snowdrift, playing with two live moose like they were action figures. The train was full of tourists ooing and aahing and snapping pictures, but Percy felt sorry they couldn't see the hyperboreans. They were missing the really good shots. Meanwhile, Frank studied a map of Alaska that he found in the seed pocket. He located Hubbard Glacier, which looked discouragingly far away from Seward. He kept running his finger along the coastline, frowning with concentration. "'What are you thinking?' Percy asked. "'Just... "'possibilities,' Frank said. Percy didn't know what that meant, "'but he let it go.' "'After about an hour, Percy started to relax. "'They bought hot chocolate from the dining car. "'The seats were warm and comfortable, "'and he thought about taking a nap. "'Then a shadow passed overhead. Taurus murmured in excitement "'and started taking pictures. "'Eagle!' one yelled. "'Eagle?' one said another. "'HUGE eagle!' said a third that's no eagle frank said percy looked up just in time to see the creature make a second pass it was definitely larger than an eagle with sleek black body the size of a Labrador retriever its wingspan was at least 10 feet across there's another one frank pointed strike that three four okay we're in trouble the creatures circled the train like vultures, delighting the tourists. Percy wasn't delighted. The monsters had glowing red ha- eyes, sharp beaks, and vicious talons. Percy felt for his pen in his pocket. Those things look familiar. Seattle, Hazel said. The Amazons had one in a cage. There, then several things happened at once. The emergency brakes screeched, pitching them forward. Tours screamed and tumbled through the aisles. The monsters swooped down, shattering the glass roof of the car. And the entire train toppled off the rails. And that's the end of chapter 38. Wow. That was such a great chapter. Um, well, I really want... One big question that's going to come out of this is how... What is their strategy going to be, first of all, when they're going to fight these Labrador Retrievers? Because, you know, they're in Alaska, the land of beyond the gods. So, how exactly are they going to be able to fight this? Will Percy? Will Frank finally find out what his shape? What what his ability is? Shapeshifting, hopefully. Um, will Frank finally be able to use that ability? Will Hazel be able to? Um, use some technique from Hades possibly um will Percy be able to use his water and ma- use his water manipulation no idea but after the break we'll read chapter 39 see how exactly this fight goes because obviously they can't leave the train without defeating these giant dogs so after the break we'll read chapter 39 to see how the rest of this battle goes so see you then And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 39, Percy. Percy went weightless. His vision blurred. Claws grabbed his arms and lifted him to the air. Below, train wheels squealed and metal crashed. Glass shattered. Passengers screamed. When his eyesight cleared, he saw the beast that was carrying him aloft. It was the body of a panther, sleek, black, and feline, with the wings and head of an eagle. Its eyes glowed, blood red. Percy squirmed. The monster's front talons were wrapped around his arms like steel bands. He couldn't free himself or reach his sword. He rose higher and higher in the cold wind. Percy had no idea where the monster was taking him, but he was pretty sure he wouldn't like it when he got there. He yelled, mostly out of frustration. Then something whistled by his ear. An arrow sprouted from the monster's neck. The creature shrieked and let go. Percy fell and crashing through tree branches until he slammed into a snowbank. He groaned, looking up at a massive pine tree he just shredded. He managed to stand. Nothing seemed broken. Frank stood to his left, shooting down the creatures as fast as he could. Hazel was at his back, swinging swords at any monster that came close, but there were too many swarming around them. At least a dozen. Percy drew, rip- Percy drew Riptide. He sliced the wing off one monster and sent it spiraling into a tree, then sliced through another that burst into dust. But the defeated ones began to reform immediately. What are these things? He yelled. Griffins, Hazel said. We have to get them away from the trains. Percy saw what she meant. The train cars had fallen over and the roofs had shattered. Tourists were stumbling around in shock. Percy didn't see anybody seriously injured the griffins were swooping toward anything that moved. The only thing keeping them away from the mortals was a glowing gray warrior in camouflage. Frank's pet Spartus. Percy glanced over and noticed Frank's spear was gone. Use your last charge? Yeah. Frank shot another griffin out of the sky. I had to help the mortals. The spear just dissolved. Percy nodded. Part of him was relieved. He didn't like the skeleton warrior. Part of him was disappointed, because that was one less weapon they had at their disposal. But he didn't fault Frank. Frank had done the right thing. Let's move the fight, Percy said, away from the tracks. They stumbled through the snow, smacking and slicing griffins that reformed from dust every time they were killed. Percy had no experience with griffins. He'd always imagined them as huge, noble animals, like lions with wings. But these things reminded him more of vicious pack hunters flying hyenas about 50 yards from the tracks the trees gave way to an open marsh the ground was so spongy and icy Percy felt like he was racing across bubble wrap Frank was running out of arrows Hazel was breathing hard Percy's own sword swings were getting slower he realized they were alive only because the griffins weren't trying to kill them the griffins wanted to pick them up and carry them off somewhere maybe to their nests Percy thought then he tripped over something in the tall grass, a circle of scrap metal about the size of a tractor tire. It was a massive bird's nest, a griffin's nest, the bottom littered with old pieces of jewelry, an imperial gold dagger, a, a dented centurion's badge, and two pumpkin-sized eggs that looked like real gold. Percy jumped into the nest. He pressed his sword against one of the eggs. Back off or I break it. The griffins squawked angrily. They they buzzed around the nest and snapped their beaks, but they didn't attack. Hazel and Frank stood back to back with Percy, their weapons ready. Griffins collect gold, Hazel said. They're crazy for it. Look, more nests over there. Frank knocked his last arrow. So these are their nests. What were they trying to take Percy? Where were they trying to take Percy? That thing was flying away with him. Percy's arms still throbbed when the Griffin had grabbed him. Alcionius, he guessed. Maybe they're working for him. Are these things smart enough to take orders? I don't know, Hazel said. I never fought them when I lived here. I just read about them in camp. Weaknesses? Frank asked. Please tell me they have weaknesses. Hazel scowled. Horses. They hate horses. Natural enemies or something. I wish Arian was here. The griffins shrieked. They swirled around the nest with their red eyes glowing. Guys, Frank said nervously. I see legion relics in this nest. I know, Percy said. That means other demigods died here or Frank, it'll be okay, Percy promised. One of the griffins dived in. Percy raised his sword, ready to stab the egg. The monster veered off, but the other griffins were losing their patience. Percy couldn't keep this standoff going much longer. He glanced around the fields, desperately trying to formulate a plan. About a quarter, a quarter mile away, a hyperborean giant was sitting in the bog, peacefully picking mud from between his toes with a broken tree trunk. I've got an idea, Percy said. Hazel, all the gold in, this, in these nests, do you think you can use it to cause a distraction? I, I, I guess... Just give us enough time for a head start. When I say go, run for that giant. Frank gaped at him. You want us to run toward a giant? Trust me, Percy said. Ready? Go. Hazel thrust her hand upward. From a dozen nests across the marsh, golden objects shot into the air. Jewelry, weapons, coins, gold nuggets, most importantly, griffin eggs. The monsters shrieked and flew after their eggs, frantic to save them. Percy and his friends ran. Their feet splashed and crunched through a frozen marsh. Percy poured on speed, but he could hear the griffins closing behind them. And now the monsters were really angry. The giant hadn't noticed the commotion yet. He was inspecting his toes for mud, his face sleepy and peaceful, his white mis- uh, whiskers glistening with ice crystals. Around his neck was a necklace of found objects. Garbage cans, car doors, moose antlers, camping equipment. Even a toilet. Apparently, he'd been cleaning up the wilderness. Percy hated to disturb him, especially since of men taking shelter under the giant's thighs, but they didn't have much choice. Under, he told his friends. Crawl under. They scrambled between the massive blue legs and flattened themselves in the mud, crawling as close as they could to his loincloth. Percy tried to breathe through his mouth, but it wasn't the most pleasant hiding spot. What's the plan? has get flattened by a blue rump lay low Percy said only move if you have to the griffins arrived in a wave of angry beaks talons and wings swarming around the giant trying to get under his leg the giant rumbled in surprise he shifted Percy had to roll to avoid getting crushed by his hard large hairy rear the hyperborean grunted a little more irritated He swatted at the griffins, but they squawked in outrage and began pecking at his legs and hands. Raw? The giant bellowed. Raw! He took a deep breath and blew out a wave of cold air. Even Even under the protection of the giant's legs, Percy could feel the temperature drop. The griffin's shrieking stopped abruptly, replaced by the thunk, thunk, thunk of heavy objects hitting the mud. Come on, Percy told his friends carefully they squirmed around from under the giant all around the marsh trees were glazed with frost a huge swath of the bog was covered in fresh snow frozen griffins stuck out of the the ground like feathery popsicle sticks their wings still spread beaks open eyes wide with surprise percy and his friends scrambled away trying to keep out the giant's vision but the big guy was too busy to notice them He was trying to figure out how to string a frozen griffin onto his necklace. Percy. Hazel wiped the ice and mud from her face. How did you know the giant could do that? I almost got hit by a hyperborean breath once, he said. We'd better move. The griffins won't stay frozen forever. And that's the end of chapter 39. Wow, that was certainly an interesting, a great chapter. And another thing I forgot to point out: it seems Percy is starting to get his memories really, really fast. That must be because of the Gorgons' blood, I believe, he had taken when he when he and Phineas went against that gamble. But it really, compared to Jason, the progress of the retru- of the memory recall is much more faster in Percy than compared to Jason, which is something that I found very fascinating. Because at this point, he's probably maybe remembered almost 85 to 90% of his memory because he practically remembers his battles, his mother, Camp Half-Blood... And he even figured out he even possibly figured out why exactly he was put in Camp Jupiter to unite the two camps together and that was I believe a previous theory I'd come up with as to why Jason and Percy were switched in um, into each other's camps and that was basically to unite because Jason's a Roman he's originally from the Roman camp and Percy's a Greek originally from the Greek camp. So they were switched in order to bring unity among the two camps so that they both could fight against Gaia together. Because if they both are on their separate ways and they still don't resolve their issues between them, then when they go into this war against Gaia, it's gonna completely, it's gonna turn into more of a war against Gaia as well as a war against each other. So I'm really, I really hope that they're able to unify these two camps together in order to beat Gaia, because I think that is ultimately the decision, the goal that was made by Hera when she had switched the two. So next week we'll see how exactly um, Percy will continue. Percy and the trio will continue with this journey toward finding Thanatos and seeing how the rest of this journey goes along. So until next week, stay safe, stay out of boredom, and if you like this episode, or if you like the podcast as a whole, you want to support me on Patreon, the link in my, uh, the link to my Patreon is in the description of this podcast bio, so, other than that, um, I'm still working on pr- pronunciations, so, hopefully that improved, uh, hopefully it's getting better, and, or hopefully it's sounding better to you guys, and, Yeah, I'll also try my best to upload on time. I know some of you guys uh, are waiting for that to be to for my episodes to come. So I'm trying to upload on time. So I apologize, but um, I'm still going to keep trying. So, yeah. uh, Thanks. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the Heroes of Olympus uh, and the Son of the Son of Neptune. And until next week, stay safe, stay out of boredom.